Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I don't know what episode number this is. We don't know. We don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway, guess who's back? <laughs> Jocelyn and Kristen. And today we are talking about divorce and how to handle yourself, how to handle your kids, how to handle your friends. And it's not the only thing we talk about because I don't seem to stay on topic for an entire episode. But we talk about a lot of great things, as we always do. I think my podcast with these two ladies are always so full of learning and I love to learn. So I hope you learn too. If you know someone who's going through a divorce or you're going through a divorce and this helps you or could help you have a better conversation with your friends, please share this episode. Um, thank you for showing up every week. Um, thank you for all your kind words. Please let me know if there's any topics you'd like us to discuss either with Jocelyn and Kristen or just in general. I would love to um, put that on my roster. So I hope you, uh, enjoy this episode. I enjoyed talking about this topic with the ladies. So thanks again. (laughs) Yeah. Toss salads, babe. Toss salads. All right. Enjoy this (laughs) podcast episode. Thanks. just got back from um i was in colorado with my friend did you ever meet my friend light that sounds familiar familiar yeah um her dad lives totally off the grid and has for 22 years and so i was visiting who does that i know well people who are like he he talks very openly about why he did it and it's kind of a heartbreaking story but um he didn't like being with society it was like hard for him um but no I have a cousin like that yeah mm-hmm. it's inspiring but it's also kind of sad sad yeah yeah makes me sad yeah. too um, even he kind of said it was sad right yeah he um well you need people but then yeah maybe you don't function well with people i think yeah that's why my cousin is anyway but i was struck by how hard it is to like actually be environmentally friendly just when you look at what really? it takes to live off the land yeah, the, yeah. that is really hard. never has anything packaged or I think he has some canned beans and stuff. Let's start this over because this is really interesting. I know that's I don't, not what we're talking yeah. about, but can <laughs> yeah. you talk about that? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I will. I, oh, um, yes. Okay, so start over. You um, went to. I was in Colorado with my friend and her family and her dad lives 
off the grid. Um, the instructions to get to his place were hilarious. It was drive six miles past this town. Um, when you see a clump of trees turn right at the gravel road across that clump of trees and then <laughs> bear right after the first cattle guard and keep driving <laughs> an indefinite amount of time, we'll meet you with some ATVs and take you in the rest of the way. So we kept driving on this gravel road and my kids were like, where do we go from here? We, it was a 30 minute drive. And I'm like, I don't know. And we'd lost cell coverage at this point. Like supposedly there's going to be people with ATVs to take us. <laughs> That's crazy. So it was amazing. And it was, um, so he has no, he has solar power. Mm-hmm. He has no running water. It's all well water. Wow. Um, Does he have to draw it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So no kind of, he has no kind of plumbing system. No. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. No. Um, the, there's no outhouse. There's what's called a honey bucket, which is, a bucket with a toilet seat yeah, on it. Yeah, I know what a honey bucket yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> and we slept in a tent. And then the showering system is you heat up water and then pour it into, you know, the plastic outdoor shower. Yeah. But he also had a bath that was heated by fire. And so I took a bath one night under the stars, but he, which was really cool. Yeah. But um, it you know heats it all day, and then you just run water into the bathtub to make it the right temperature. It was crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Well, I lived in that log cabin in the woods um, when I was a kid. Uh, we were not off the grid, but there was a fella that lived in the woods in a teepee that was totally off the grid. He had his own garden. He did not have a honey bucket, nothing that sophisticated. He just stacked sticks up in like a squarish pyramid. With one big stick with toilet paper on the top, <laughs> I used to oh sneak that would work. and watch, like just explore his little camp because he he did have a VW Bug, like an old Volkswagen Bug, and so you could hear him forever leave the property. So when he would leave, I would sneak over there and check out his camp, and he just had like you know, a, like a, a teepee structure with a pot over it for cooking, and he had a small garden. And I didn't, I don't remember seeing any other food. I don't know if he just went and got food as he needed it or if he just ate that. And the winter, it just was heated with the fire inside the tent. Uh-huh. He had a teepee. He was in the teepee. teepee yeah. yeah. And he slept uh, in a hammock inside the teepee. So he was off the ground. And then he had a summer hammock outside. So I'm sure when it was hot, Georgia, it's better to be outside. But he lived that way for years. Years yeah, and my years. friend has lived there for 22 years. That Well, not just, that long. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So you were saying you didn't realize how hard it was to be environmentally. Yeah, I mean, that's what kept, like, I kept thinking about how we can get kind of high and mighty about our environmentalist efforts. And then I see what he's doing and I'm like, oh, I'm doing nothing. I yeah. should just own it. I should just own the fact that I'm ruining the earth. Sorting because... my garbage from recycling to non-recycling right. is really not what's happening, right? Not at all. Not at all. And so that brought me down. And he and I talked about that. And he said, you know, of course you should do what you can, but yes, what you're doing is laughable to me, basically. Yeah. Say it like that, but. I would imagine. I go back home and my family is so much better at being environmentally conscious than I am. And, you know, they're, you know, Republicans and they're in the (laughs) middle of, you know, the country. But 
they don't waste anything. Right. You know, they yeah. have animals that eat their scraps. Like there's no food that goes in the garbage. They don't make garbage. If there's a jar that they use for pasta sauce, which they don't really eat, but a jar that they would use for pickles or something, that jar is reused for something else. They put nuts and screws in it. They, you know, they store other food in it. There's very little waste, very little garbage, just beer cans. Mm-hmm. Other than that. <laughs> There's not a lot of waste. And I every time I go back, I go, you know, they'll use one square of paper towel because they need to be, you know, money yeah. conscious, uh, conscious also. And I'm like, four squares of paper towels to wipe one little thing. And you just don't think about it. You get in this rhythm of not thinking right. that way. And yeah, I'm always impressed when I go home. My Everybody composts. Everybody yeah. has an animal that eats their food. Do you compost? No. No. I did compost when we Do first you? moved into this. No, I kind of have visions that someday I will, but no. Yeah. Well, the hard part about composting is if you don't do it right, it smells. Mm-hmm. And we live on such small pieces of property here that I tried to compost when we first moved here. And Bert was like, yeah, that's stopping. Like I it can smelled smell that it. bad. Yes, because I wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of figure out how to do it. And I wasn't putting the right combination of stuff in there. And it became really overwhelming because, you know, if we're eating four eggs a day and drinking two pots of coffee and then all these fruits, it was just so much that I was putting in the composter that I kept outgrowing my composters. And it wouldn't cook down fast enough for me to not need a new composter. So I would compost and then I'd have to stop composting so that everything would cook so that I could, it just, I was like, this is too complicated and it's, and it smelled and we just live in too small Mm -hmm. of a space. So (laughs) I had my aunt who is a master gardener, who is a massive, like she makes worm beds out of her compost and has bees and she's, really environmental um in that way helped us build one that was like a side one that was a small one that was in a five gallon bucket which you can do and Bert <laughs> accidentally stepped on the lid and went through into the compost and that was the end <laughs> that was it it was like all right we're done no more composting this is disgusting and we threw everything out and that was it he can't wrap his head around that anyway you know he's a country club boy he didn't understand having Something that smells like that anywhere in your world. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting story. Yeah, story. it was really fun. And it was, I mean, it was hard. It was the hardest vacation that I've ever been on for sure. Because just to cook something. So his garden is like a quarter of a mile away from where he cooks. And then that's a separate place from where he stores any food that, you know, any additional food. And so everything was just a long walk. Like you'd realize that you forgot something and it's like, all right, I'll see you guys in 15 minutes. Right. Go back and get it. Yeah. I bet he's in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. He's 75 and in great shape. Great shape. And yeah. He's probably, yeah, really healthy. Mm -hmm. So does he hunt and stuff like that? He doesn't anymore, but he did. And I don't, I, I can't imagine that it's been long since he stopped hunting because we had elk that was his elk that he killed. Yeah. Elk's good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's really good. Well, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's a vacation your kids won't forget. They won't forget it. And they loved it. They were such troopers. It was hot and there were mosquitoes and I was a little worried they were going to be whiny, but they were great. That's awesome. So much fun. Of course, they had so much fun. Yeah, they and always just do. Just outside. And- they always do. When we mm-hmm. go back to my family in Alabama, we spend so much time outside. Like They'll spend days without a television 
or there's no cell service, so they can't do anything unless it's on their physical phone. And I think they went days, five or six days without even picking it up. And without even asking. So My no. kids didn't even ask. No, they mm. didn't either because there's so much mm-hmm. that can uh, pique your curiosity. You know, what is that? What is that yeah. that you don't get to see? Here. And my son had so many questions that I can't answer questions about how solar power works. I I have no idea. Right. And so and he had so many questions just about how kind of about how the world works that he could sit and talk to David about. That was really fun. That's cool. Watch out that, I'm glad yeah. you got to do that. That's yeah, amazing. It was really fun. I still don't feel clean though. I've been back since <laughs> Friday and I still am like still not so clean, did you just guys. Have the one bath over the I took the one week. bath. <laughs> how long were you there? <laughs> a little while, just oh, a little while. Days, whatever. <laughs> my daughter was obsessed with bathing i realized that she really is cleaner than i think she is because every day she's like mom we need to take showers but it just felt like so much work yeah so i, I didn't do it she did it a couple times and she took a bath and then when i was taking my bath both my kids came and climbed in with me oh um, yeah that's great it was sweet mm-hmm. when we go back home we take um lake baths Mm-hmm. Where you just soap up and jump in, and there's your bath. And there you go. <laughs> After several days, you're like, yeah, I think I need a real. I know that shower. smell of just lake hair. When yeah, you just yeah. In the lake for days. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. My kids love a lake bath because who gets to do that? Mm-hmm. Soap right. up and jump in the water, and you're done. But after a few days, I'm like, okay, you have to actually go in the house and take a shower <laughs> today because those southern lakes are. I mean, that's how I grew up, but they're green. Uh, yeah. Ours is not. <laughs> oh, I have to not, say, okay, no. In Tennessee, they are. No, this <laughs> they are all in a lot of places in Georgia, but or in Alabama too. But this particular lake, it was voted was not voted was deemed one of the cleanest lakes in the U.S. It's wow. crystal like you can scoop up a cup of water and it's clear. Oh yeah, oh, that's wow. really great. <laughs> no, <laughs> you can scoop up a cup of water and not see the bottom of the yeah, cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's the way another lake nearby is. But this lake, for what I think this lake is off of a very small river, not a main river that gets any kind of pollution or any traffic on it. No one's on this river. It's, it's long, <clears throat> so it it brings plenty of water, but it's not very big. So yeah, because we call it a lake because it's Fort Loudon Lake, but it's actually the Tennessee River. So we'll see. Yeah, like, that's so the thing. We got a lot yes, of stuff in there, West yeah. Point is fed by the Chattahoochee. Yeah. There, I mean, I I don't even know that I would swim in that lake because. Who knows what's been put in the Chattahoochee? But this one is from the little, little, the little Tallapoosa River. So it's just so there's nothing in that lake. That's awesome. But anyway, so we wanted to talk today about divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. a child of divorce. You are a parent of divorce. Yes, and right? a child of divorce, and, and a, a grandchild of divorce. Oh my goodness! I, know I have lots of divorce in my family. Yeah, I have seven between my two parents. Does that count? <laughs> Wow, that might be a world record. I don't know. Did Elizabeth Taylor have kids? (laughs) She did. She may have outdone me. But Jaja Gabor, yeah, my parents, yeah, seven. That's a lot. So resilience building, is that what you want to talk about? And And co-parenting. Yeah. Let's get in it. All of that. Great. Where should we start? Well, do you want me to start? Yes, we want you okay. to Okay. One of the things that Kristen and I were talking about the other day is the idea that if you're a parent and you're going through a divorce, what the advice you get from people is usually make sure you put your kids first. And it's seemingly great advice, mm-hmm. but the reality of it is there's probably a lot of fear 
and resentment and shame and regret and, you know, sadness. That's an overwhelming amount in your life. And now you're being asked to kind of stuff all of that and make sure that every decision that you make is what's best for my kids. And I disagree with that a bit. I think there needs to be a really big, honest balancing act there about, you know, what you actually can do mm-hmm. and what you, you know, you need to make sure that you're meeting your kids' needs. But do you need to be sacrificing yourself so much that you're making all of those negative emotions even worse and prolonging the amount of time that it takes to get over them? That's a really good point. So you're talking about balancing self-care, really. Yes. Like balancing your needs and your kids' needs. Yes. And being honest. Yeah, being honest. Just be honest you, with yourself. What you can and can't do. I mean, I right. think that there's this desire to make sure that you go on as though nothing has changed when you're a parent. Like, you're going to just make sure that your kid's life is exactly the same. But it's not. It needs to be reinvented. And that's going to take some time. It's going to take a process. And maybe at the beginning of that, the you know, the life doesn't look... At, all, at the beginning of that, the life is not going to look the same as it's going to look two years down the road. And right. that's okay. Right. That's okay. I mean, there were days where I was like, we're, we're sitting in bed and watching TV and ordering food. And that went on for a while. Right. Because that's what I could handle. Right. And I wasn't neglecting my kids, but I sure as hell wasn't going, okay, I'm going to cook the same meal and just go about with a smile on my face. It was like, we're going to just all snuggle in bed together and order takeout. And we're going to do that as long as it takes. Well, Well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, to me, modeling that this is actually really hard and I don't know how to do this and I'm maybe not doing it very well and I'm going to figure it out and it might not be pretty. To me, that's better than like faking it and your kids Mm -hmm. like are supposed to think that everything's fine, but can feel. Right. They can feel that it's not really okay and like what's really going on. And so, I mean- I think being able to be real and have those conversations and just name it, say it out loud. Yeah. It teaches them how to do that when yeah. they grow up. Yeah. And how to say, you know, not everything's great. I, I have many times cried in front of my kids and I and I don't purposely just go, okay, now I'm going to cry in front of my kids and cry. But like, you know, when my grandmother died, I fell totally apart in front of them because she was so important to me. So how were they supposed to know how important she was to me or what grief looks like, right? right? This grief is very real. And when you divorce, there is grief. Yeah, It's like the death of something. It's the death of a relationship, of a dream, um, a, a, a death of hope on this one particular thing that you had put your, you know, hopes and dreams in. And that will happen for them with a job, with not getting cheerleading, you know, yeah. not getting on the cheerleading team, with the girl not saying yes to going to the prom. Those things happen, too. And for them, it's just as intense. And, you know, that being honest with where you are is, I think, for kids, more secure. Right? I agree. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that happens developmentally as we become adults, is that we learn to tolerate ambiguity. And what you just said is like divorce is like, maybe you know it's the right thing and you're on one hand, you're glad that it's happening because you know it's right. But on the other hand, it's grief. And on the other hand, you're pissed. And on the other hand, so it's all these things that don't fit neatly in a box. It's all those seemingly contradictory things at once, which is what that's really what life is sometimes. Yeah. And so I think, you know, to be able to 
just be in it. And today I'm pissed and tomorrow I'm really glad. And the right. next day I'm falling apart, I think is just, that's just the path sometimes. It's real. Mm-hmm. As long as your kids are cared for. Yes. Yeah. You feed yeah. them. <laughs> feed them. Get <laughs> them know. to school. <laughs> but I think that what it takes to be a good parent during a divorce is not what most people think it is. I think there's a lot of honesty that that can be there and should be there. That when you're going through a divorce, that's not really the message you get. The message you get is paint a picture that everything's going to be fine. And be a united front. And yes. Be a united right. front. Make sure that you don't ever say anything bad about your ex. And you know, try not to just be petty about your ex, but you have to have some real conversations about what's going on in your life so that your kids can understand what they're feeling because right. they're feeling it. Yeah. Totally. And sometimes the truth is there are things about your ex that your kids know aren't weren't great about whatever it was. Like maybe it was just with the two of you. Maybe it was sometimes how they are with the kids. I mean, I think like I remember when my oldest was 10 and he went to, we talked about this before, but he went to a psychologist and it was really about the three of us, Michael and my son and myself. And you know what? It was appropriate for him to be able to say sometimes dad's an ass. Yeah. Like sometimes he is. Sometimes I am. Like, so I just think that like never saying a bad thing. I mean, of course you would don't want to be petty, like you said, but This is the time to actually try to help everyone get real. And like, also, you know, there are stories that kids can get in their heads Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And like, whatever ages, even when they're teens, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what story they're kind of making up about how they contributed or whatever it is. And so to be able to let anything go in terms of just, you're not going to get in trouble for what's going on in your head. Let's just get it out and see, because sometimes it's not. At even true accurate, yeah. or it's not serving any of yeah. us but you, you know you're not going to know if it, everything's supposed to just be perfect right i think it one thing that would be helpful going through a divorce i think for a kid watching their parents is i know that my dad never spoke negatively about my mother i felt his frustration with her because she would do things like have Leanne at home at seven o'clock on Sunday, non-negotiable. We'd be there at seven and she'd show up at 8.30. And it's an hour drive for him. And it was a complete mind fuck. Now as an adult, I know that she did that to go fuck you. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I just felt my dad's upset, right? He was really upset. And I would have been upset too if I'd driven an hour and sat in a driveway for an hour and a half to have to drive an hour home and go to work the next day. That would suck. And that's someone not keeping their word. And that's probably what happened in their relationship was that she did. Well, I know it was now, but at the time, I never knew that from my dad. And I think it would have been helpful for him to say, you know, just so you know, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. It's not okay for me to drive this far and wait this long. This is not okay. But for him, the relationship and the brokenness of the two adults was too intense for him to address that even with me. So if a parent could find a way to to take that that intensity out and deal with the kind of the logic of the situation. This is logically what's happening. And logically, this isn't okay if it's the gardener who said, I'll be here at seven and we're here at 830. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't, this isn't the way the world works. And it's not okay that she walk all over me. Not that you use those words. It's not okay that, that this is happening. It would have made me feel better to just acknowledge that 
that this wasn't okay. And to have him kind of, I don't know if this would even be possible, but to have addressed some of that with her. But they never addressed things like that with each other because it would become so volatile. And I Mm -hmm. think once you're apart, the ability to take the, I mean, what the fuck? You're apart now. Why be so volatile about everything in front of your kids? Why not teach them, hey, people don't get along sometimes and that's okay. So, and you know, we can still raise you and not see eye to eye. I think another thing that would be helpful is to look for your own fault when talking about the other parent, you know, or allowing the other parent to present what you have that didn't work in the relationship. Because, you know, I may like to play golf every single day. Bert may not like to play golf every day. That may be one of the reasons we divorce mm-hmm. is that I'm at go the golf course every day and he can't understand it. Does that make me bad? No, it just makes us incompatible. So if the parent who's being named the, you know, she always yelled when I asked for milk, if they can kind of take a step back and go, well, did I? And perhaps that is right. And perhaps I can say, you know what? Your dad's right on this one. And I need to work on that. Um, I think that would teach kids a lot. Well, I think there's um, also something to be said for, you know, any relationship for looking at it after it's over or while it's ending or when you're thinking about it ending and looking like breaking it down. What are the things that work? Like, why did you fall in love with that person? Or why did you choose to be business partners with that person? You know, whatever it is. But and then the negatives, because it is a it's a collection of discrete characteristics Mm -hmm. that you can use in the next one to make sure like, oh, wow, you're right. Like if this person's going to be gone five hours a day doing something that I don't whatever on the weekends, that's not going to work, whatever it is. But I think people get it gets personal. Mm -hmm. And and so instead of getting kind of intellectual and breaking it down and looking at it like that. I think there's so much at stake and it feels personal, especially Mm -hmm. if there's betrayal or if there's, you know, people are not nice to each other and it doesn't feel respectful, whatever that is. It just, it's easier to just say, you know, you're bad. You were bad for me. I don't want to look at what was mine in it, but then you're just going to go do it again. That's right. It just repeats and it teaches your kids that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to just pass the blame always, which Mm -hmm. there may be a situation where you're X was acted, behaved horribly for a period of time and was, you know, on paper, the one who everyone agree was wrong, but, but you entered into that relationship and, and finding out why so that you don't do it again is so important. Yeah, it is. Um, I had a rule too, that when I, when Mike and I split up, that I was not going to go out drinking with any of my friends who were upset about their divorces. Like I, I was not doing any of that. I was not doing any of the drinking and bitching about my ex. Mm. And I have to tell you, I brought this up to Kristen. It saved me in so many ways. Yeah. And when I have a girlfriend going through a divorce, I'm like, pay attention to what you're around. Because if you're around a group of people who are bitter and angry, that's what you're going to do for a longer period of time. Yeah, you're right. And the better conversation is, why was I in this relationship? Mm-hmm. What did I, what am I carrying around so that I entered into a relationship with a person that ultimately wasn't right for me? Right. And to me, this all, like conflict in general, and this particular thing about divorce, 
we started out talking about needs, like whose needs, the parents or the kids. But to me, that's really, if there's one thing I would look into, it's needs. It's like, what needs of mine were not getting met Mm -hmm. in this relationship? And am I willing to be in another relationship where they're not getting met? Or am I going to make sure that like these couple things that are super important to me, whether that's trust or respect or freedom or whatever it is, everyone's needs are different, but to look at that. And then also, same thing with your kids. Right. You know, if it just on a piece of paper, if you're literally like, okay, for the next three or six months while we're just trying to get our footing through this divorce, it's like, this is what I need. I'm going to need a night with my girlfriends or whatever it is. I'm going to need some time. I'm going to, whatever that is to take care of yourself. And my kids are going to need this for Mm -hmm. their modicum of stability or whatever it's going to be. And doesn't have to be 20 needs for everyone, but the top couple, mm-hmm. if, if both groups and then, you know, hopefully the other person too, if if all three parties, the kids and both divorcing parents can get their main needs met, mm-hmm. you're pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think when your kids are young, they're, I, I would imagine, um, or at least for me, having a routine that I could count on like unfalteringly was really helpful for me to relax because my mom was very inconsistent. My dad showed up every other Friday at 3.30 and was never late ever, ever, not ever. So I knew when that day was coming, everything would just be handled. Like, okay, I'm good. I just got to make it to Friday at 3.30 and I'm good. And that consistency was so important. So I don't know, maybe that doesn't work for every kid, but the instability just of going, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Everything that I knew before is no more. To have something that I could really hold on to was really important for me. Do you think that that is important? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In your experience? And most of the research, uh, the research on divorce is really interesting, but the, um, but just in general on resilience, what kids need is one person. They, you know, in terms of support, right. they need one person. So if one parent is falling apart and the other one isn't, like in your case, make it. then, then yeah, there's a much better chance that they're going to make it as, right. if, you know, both parents are totally unreliable. Right. Um, but in terms of routine, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conversation because in some ways I think my kids are more flexible because there's so much shuffling back and forth. And my kids are seven and nine. And I have a very good relationship with my ex. So, you know, we're, we're not to the letter in terms of what the, what the, you know, custody agreement is. We just do what works. And if he has something he needs to do, I take the kids. So they're much more, as a result, much more flexible. However, within our, and they're older, when they were younger, we did have to really stick to it because it was too upsetting to them. Mm -hmm. We went through kind of a period where, we were, the kids were two and five when we got divorced. And we Mm. said, you know, we're just going to kind of play it by ear. And it was really awful for my daughter. She, my five-year-old, she would just sob and she would say, I want to be with daddy. No, I want to be with mommy. And so we cut that off at that point. We were like, no, we are making the decisions where, and it's very regimented. 
So in the beginning, you're saying like they could kind of, oh, I want to go with mommy now. I want to go with daddy now. But right. We tried that in the beginning and, and it, it was too But hard. that's just so much pressure for the kid. It's like, oh, am I going to so hurt your much. feelings? Yeah, I'm choosing the other one. Yeah, that's interesting. So much. Yeah. And then, it, but now we're back because they're older and they're so used to this. We're back to doing that. If they say, we want to go see daddy tonight, I call them up and say, the kids want to see you. Is that okay? And there's no... They're not hurting my feelings when they do that. No, but that was, that sounds like there was that kind of adjustment period. Yeah. Like in the beginning, maybe everything had to be really a tightly run ship Mm -hmm. and then it could relax over time as everybody kind of went, okay, I see how this works. Okay. We're not actually broken. We're just different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt like, I definitely as a child felt like this was 100% my fault. I had done something. Even though now as an adult, I go, oh, yeah, this was nothing to do with me. But did you did you just keep that inside all those years? Did anyone ever ask? Did anyone no. know about oh, that? Oh, God, no. Yeah. No, it's the 70s. Right. Nobody I mean, asked yeah. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. I kept it all inside for, for years and years. But And I don't think anybody knew at the time to say, you know, this is not your fault. You know, right. there, there wasn't enough divorce under society's belt. You know, this was the first wave. Right. After the, you know, women's movement started, then people started divorcing. This is really the first wave, right? This is 70s, uh, maybe the 60s too. But yeah, I don't think anybody knew to ask that. So hopefully nowadays, we all know that kids feel, because kids are inherently very self-focused, right? They're very kind of narcissistic in like developmentally, mm-hmm. they they kind of think, well, I actually created this world, and this world is here for me, <laughs> so definitely that's my fault, <laughs> you right. know. So hopefully now we know more. Well, I think that what what comes up for me on that is that they also think they they don't. I don't even think my kids at this age, at the age of seven and nine, have really an awareness of what marriage is or what a relationship is. What they care about is how it affects them. Right. And so very often parents will talk about, they will bring things up about emotions that the kid in relationships that those kids don't care about, don't have any idea about. They want to know it wasn't my fault and what's going to happen to me. Like my kids wanted to know where the toys were going to be. Right. That's what they wanted. But to what know. are you saying like that someone would bring up that the kids aren't really interested in? Um, that's a good question and I should have an answer for you right now. It it has to do more with the the emotions between mom and dad and the the love there and what that relationship is. So like going forward, like what uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. And even just going backward and what they they don't they don't care that much about me about my emotions uh, you know about splitting up a romantic relationship. That's not what they care about. They but there's about- interest. There is interesting research about, and I have to figure out where this is, but it's somewhere in the back of my brain that that when there is a marriage or a relationship that's ongoing, that actually the the emotions and the like stability of that relationship is the most important thing to the kid, like on a like subconscious level, oh. right? So it's interesting, and I think it goes back to that thing that you and I were talking about before, which is like if there's something off like there's clearly tension and whatever but kids are being told that it's everything's fine that's not good because then kids aren't trusting their gut and if they're if it's just outwardly tense and everyone's admitting it that's the foundation of their world so they're living in a a shaky foundation right so 
there there is a lot to be said for like while this is your life that the most important emotions in the household are the ones between the parents yeah yeah for sure yeah but i hear what you're saying like if that's I t- I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you, like, but especially going forward as, you know, like what it really, it's like, how is this going to affect me as the kid? Yes. I'm totally with you. And then like the ins and outs of what you guys are going to do. Why does that really matter? Right. And they yeah. want it. I mean, they do to Leanne's point, they need routine. And I think the more hostile the relationship is, the more important it is mm, to have a routine, routine because Probably, that's yeah. at least something that they can grasp onto. Right. But something that you were saying the research actually, you know, there's all of this research on divorce and how horrible it is for kids. And some of it is outright hilarious. Like we in your first book, the one that hasn't been published. So actually your second, but (laughs) um, found a study in Canada where they found that um, children of divorced parents go on to smoke more than 100 cigarettes. What? Yeah, they did a study on that. I, I remember that. <laughs> they did a study on that. As, a, made, did as opposed to like 99. To children of non-divorced Yes, parents? and those ones smoke less than 100 cigarettes. So as a parent, I don't particularly like see the difference between 99 cigarettes and 101 cigarettes no. that my children go on to smoke in life. But most of the research shows that it's the dysfunction prior to the divorce that causes problems and that those problems go away after about two years, assuming that stability happens, you know, once the divorce is under. So that should be very reassuring as well. I think that it's yeah. not the divorce itself. Right. It's the, it's what's going on inside of the household prior to the divorce. And to your point then, like acknowledging that is so important. Acknowledging that what they were experiencing is not, was not healthy, was not right. Or that what they were reading was accurate. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, you're saying yes, everything's yes. fine. I feel nothing's fine. Mm-hmm. You were right. Right. Okay. Correct. So now I can trust my instinct. Yeah. So I think that instinct. I know for me, growing up with a mom that had mental stuff, in my opinion, had mental stuff. I, living in that way taught me to not trust myself mm-hmm. ever under yeah. any circumstance to second guess every thought, feeling, instinct. Yep. Impulse I had to go, that's probably wrong. Which I think is maybe the worst thing that can happen oh, to kids. The worst thing. Because if you don't have that, then you are lost and you're always Nothing. looking to others. But then you don't know if you can trust others. So then where do you find it? You don't trust others. Right. Because others have told you your whole life right. not to trust yourself. So then you can't trust you're anybody. You're totally screwed. Right. It's, it's a horrible feeling. So to, yeah, I think to go back and say you were right. This wasn't working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to right the boat. Yeah. We're going to make it two ships sail and we're going to be fine in our sailing. Right? And going back to what you're saying about, you know, one adult. To me, I think that thing about the one adult, whether it's one parent or the grandmother or somebody, that it's the that's a relationship that feels congruent. Mm hmm. What I'm feeling is congruent with what's being said. Mm-hmm. I don't feel crazy. Right. Like, and and we don't know how to put words to that when we're kids, but we can feel it. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah. And yes. that's one of the reasons that I want to get rid of the whole idea of never say anything bad about your ex or your partner in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. Because, it, uh, again, you don't need to go around going, well, he's just an asshole. That's no, not, that's no, that, that's not helpful. Hopefully that's obvious. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. But if that's you're, obvious. whether you're divorced or not divorced, if you're in an argument with somebody and your children are in that household and you're deciding to just paint this beautiful picture of what's going on, it's so damaging. And so to just be able to acknowledge like, look, yes, I'm really angry at your father right now. 
right. is, and you don't have to say much more than that. No. You really don't. No, you're just not acknowledging yeah, what's happening. Like I'm really, it, we it, do that in my house because I live with someone who is very emotional. And sometimes the emotion is not necessarily uh, proportionate to what's happening, right? So Bert woke up the other day <laughs> and I was really cranky because I hadn't been sleeping. Really cranky. So in this household, it's best for me to go, hey, babe, just want you to know, I'm really cranky. I like got up on the wrong side of the bed. I haven't slept well for days and I'm just kind of cranky. So I may be really quiet and I may just be putzing around here getting ready for Isla's birthday party. Don't take it personally. It's me. I am. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. (laughs) He looked at me and went, yeah, well, I woke up really needy. So I'm going to need you. combination. And I went, fuck. (laughs) Fuck. There goes my day. So I went to the girls and went, here's what's happening in this house today. I'm cranky. Dad's needy. And Georgia went, oh. I was like, exactly. So if you hear me snapping at dad, it's because I laid a boundary that's not being <laughs> accepted. And I am fucking It's so great that happy. you talk that way. I do. I do. I actually even curse and say, I'm not fucking happy, Georgia. Because... <laughs> My boundary is not being held because he it he's not capable of holding it. And I'm smart enough to know that I just have to get him through the needy so that I can have what I need, which is to be left alone. <laughs> so <laughs> so everybody was on alert and I was like, this doesn't make dad bad or me bad. It just makes us in two different places and someone has to compromise. Now, I'm not super happy that I am 99.9% of the time. Of course. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't make me super happy, but I talked to them about that too. And I go, you know, that's not actually fair. But I walked into this relationship eyes wide open. He is not able to do that where I am. So why would he ask me to shoot a 300 yard, you know, a drive in the golf course when I can't even hold a golf club. So you have to kind of know what you're entering into. I have all these conversations and I'm sure my kids are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I hope later in life they go, okay, this is what she's talking about. This is why dad would come completely undone and mom would just deep breath through the day and then get what she needed. But I think if that would happen in divorce where you go, okay, here's what's going on. You know, this is where dad and I always had a hot topic. It was always about money. So we're talking about money. And this is always a difficult conversation. So nothing personal is going on here. I don't hate dad. Dad doesn't hate me. Even if we yell at each other, this is just a difficult conversation. And it's always been. And maybe will always be difficult. And it's okay. I think that helps the kids go, okay, I'm okay. (laughs) And, you know, I think there's a lot of combinations of, dysfunction in a family d- I just divorced described or not one. That, yes. <laughs> super dysfunctional that I go I feel like shit yeah well I'm needy <laughs> well if you wrap words Terrible. around it if you wrap words around it maybe it's not the perfect situations but you wrap words around it you give your kids your tools they go on and everything is fine it doesn't yeah. have to be perfect and the same with divorce you can be horribly horribly upset and stressed out and angry and hate your ex for a while. Yeah. And if you if you have a good script for what you're saying to your kids, 
it's all going to, you know, it's all going to unfold much better than if you just try to power through it. Well, I think information. Yes. Communication and information empowers them, children, to to think for themselves, to make an assessment on their own, make a decision and to cope you know, but if they have no information, how in the world are they supposed to figure this out? I mean, I spent half of Isla's life giving her words because she thinks visually. So how in the world would she be able to figure out her emotions if I hadn't said, here's the things I think you're maybe feeling. Tell me what you think. And and because she couldn't come up with those words on her own. How could a four-year-old watching their parents divorce ever be able to articulate in their own brain what's really happening to be able to say okay here's what's happening they can at least even if it's above their pay grade a little bit i think they get it they say okay i think you're hitting on something really important though too which is trying to meet your kids where they are Mm. so people ask me often like what do i need to do how do i do this yeah and really there isn't a one way to do it Right. Your kids will ask, like, mm-hmm. if you give them the opportunity to, you know, not just once, but like lots of mini conversations like, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you think about this? What do you need? What questions do you have? Mm-hmm. You'll find out what they need because you may think that, you know, oh, wow, they're going to really need an explanation of X, Y, and Z, when really they just got this one little thing in their head that they're kind of stuck on that they want to talk about. And so you don't have to do it all at once in some great conversation. You don't even have to have all the answers. And you can also say, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Can I think about that and get back to you? And then call someone if you really aren't sure what the answer is. But they will tell you. They will tell you. Or or they will tell you they don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking. I know for Isla, she would say, I don't know what I'm thinking. Because she doesn't think that way. She thinks very visually. So she could draw me a picture of what she was thinking, Mm. but she couldn't tell me. Mm -hmm. So conversations are just so important. And like you said, they don't have to be big. They can be really simple. You know, I'm feeling sad today. How do you feel? Those adjectives, I think adjectives are so powerful and kids don't show up with them. They have to learn them from conversations or from reading well emotions kids you know people don't know emotion words i know plenty of adults who don't can't name their emotions right you'll say oh well so how are you feeling and it'll be like i wish i didn't have to go to work today but that's not an emotion no (laughs) that's yeah that's a good point like you have to help them with that yes you're right because we don't talk that way we don't talk to each other like that right i'm feeling sad I do, but it's just because I'm <laughs> I'm a weirdo, I guess. <laughs> I think most people have like they have sad, bad, and mad and happy. Those are their that's the range of their mm-hmm. emotions are those four. Mm-hmm. But you have but, to give yeah. kids, don't you say? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling defeated? Are you right. feeling exhausted? Are you feeling um, overwhelmed, stupefied? And yeah. you know what yeah. does stupefied mean? Okay, here's what it means. Oh yeah, that's it. You get really specific with how you're feeling is so helpful because then you can know you know what to do about it too. If you yeah. know if kids are feeling shame, there are some really specific things that you can do with shame to make the shame go away. Right, because shame connects to who you are. Right, not an action you've done that you're maybe embarrassed about but shame is i am bad yeah and that's just not true uh, all the time i think i don't know is there ever something that you should feel like you are bad 
I don't think so. We were talking about this recently. Are there like bad seeds? Oh, yeah. And we I were. just don't think so. I know. I just had this conversation with Bert yesterday. Bert, unfortunately, lost a friend yesterday from childhood. Um, and we went to breakfast to talk about it. And he was like, every parent hated this kid. And I went, so the kid was, the kid was massively misunderstood. Mm-hmm. If every parent hated this kid, mm-hmm. no one understood him. That's the problem. Because as adults, it's our responsibility totally to agree with understand you. Yep. why is this behavior happening? I mean, that's the thing that's so heartbreaking. So my 17-year-old is a counselor at camp this summer with five and six-year-olds. And there's one kid who all the counselors can't stand because he's the kid who when you say, okay, time to get out of the ocean, he looks at you and he goes, no, and turns and goes towards the ocean. And he doesn't oh. listen anyway. He's totally defiant. And my sweet son, I think it's so cool that he's like taken upon himself to crack the code of this kid. He's like, mom, no one ever just like takes him aside, gets down on his level, asks him what's going on. He was like, I watch his dad and the nanny interact and he's always just being bossed around. Right. And like, my point is, you're the adult, whomever yeah. you are. Yeah. It is your job to figure it out. So are the kids a little jerk sometimes. Like, Figure it out. He's just, I don't know. I, I just have a hard uh-huh. time believing in bad seeds. But then I guess there are kids who like pull the legs off of baby animals when they're young too. But you still got to wonder what was going on in their environment. Like that's that just, and how rare is that? I mean, it's so it's like rare. It's percent Okay. Yeah. There's going to be some massive anomaly in your genetics once in a hundred years, but that's not true. But mostly they just want to be heard and understood. And like they do, there's that behavior. It gives them a payoff. It totally does. They're doing it for a reason. So to find out, even if you're going through a divorce, I would imagine kids change their behavior. They probably try on a different personality or they'll push a boundary that's never been pushed before, or they'll start acting out because they can't articulate their feelings I believe nine times out of 10, they don't understand what their feelings are. So again, to give them the language to say, I always tried to not say you're feeling angry, but to say, are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you heartbroken that your sister took your toy? Are you are what are you so that she could figure out what she was which is like a treasure hunt right Mm -hmm. you go okay what am okay which one of these words is what i'm feeling instead of saying i can see that you're very angry right well now they don't have a voice still right yeah and and, oh and listening to you talk about that too just makes me think like those kids who are the bad kids Uh like once people give up on them and they get labeled that it's like how are they ever supposed to find nope. so talk about shame it's yeah. like there really must be something wrong with me there's not one person in the world that can find anything good about me so that i mean that's just heartbreaking the saddest thing ever it's the saddest thing ever because it's such a simple shift as an adult to stop reacting to mm-hmm. their behavior and to become curious mm-hmm. and to say, why? But why are we doing this? I volunteered in Isla's kindergarten classroom and there was one girl who I was determined to make smile. I could not make that child smile. I'm a pretty funny, witty person. <laughs> I'm a really happy, awesome parent. Like super fun volunteer in the classroom. Anytime I was working with them, the kids had a blast. Could not break this child. And I kept saying, Why? What's going on that she feels so unsafe that she will not smile? So I kept trying to figure figure out. I got so frustrated with the teacher because we did this one exercise where you were supposed to 
like draw an animal with wings or something. And everyone, of course, drew a bird. But she drew like a sea turtle or something really off the chart that had wings, but not exactly wings. And the teacher was like, that's not the assignment. And I wanted to go, excuse me. She's actually really brilliant because she skinned that cat a totally Mm -hmm. different way than every other kid in this class. And why are you forcing her in this box? And I thought to myself, that's why. That's why she doesn't trust anybody because she doesn't see the world like the other 20 kids in this classroom. And she's been made to feel bad about that her whole life. So I started figuring out ways to praise her for her difference. And she started laughing and smiling at me. I had that kid through fifth grade. Every time I saw her, I'd go, hey, Simone. And she'd go, hey. (laughs) I got you. I got you. you." And I thought that's all she needed Mm -hmm. was for someone to see her and not say, you're just not compliant. Because all she heard was, you're doing it wrong. She wasn't doing it wrong. She just had a different way of seeing the world. And even if she was doing it wrong, you you have to figure out how to say that where they don't feel like they're bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same thing would happen when you're going through a divorce. You know, you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to put your plate away. What are you doing? Why didn't you take your plate to the sink? When you're so frustrated as an adult and upset and grievous and angry or whatever's going on for you to take a breath and go, what, why is this happening? Why is she not fulfilling our just basic rules of the household? Is there something up that we need to talk about? I don't know. They're all clues in life. They are clues. If you just pay attention. Yeah, those bad kids, bad kids, break my heart. I know. They're not bad. No. They just need someone to ask but the right question. But they could turn out to be mm-hmm. paved pretty badly after a while. You know. Well, that's this the guy that like- passed away... I'm not, we're not really sure how he passed away. They're not sure if it was suicide or if he just overdosed accidentally or what. But apparently he was an amazing athlete and really, really bright, but never graduated high school because he had behavior stuff. And everybody just kept going, you're bad, bad, bad. And so he was bad. Yeah, you would hope that it's getting better, you know, over the years, but I don't know that it is. I mean, of people recognizing that and intervening or right and having more compassion for it. You know, I think that once you've had a kid who has some behavior that is not as common, Mm -hmm. I have one, I have one of my kids has some behavior that's not as common as other behavior. Mm -hmm. And that expands my capacity to be curious about other kids that have behavior that's, you know, not exactly within the box. So how do you inspire people who don't have that to think out of the box? You know, it is so interesting because you do, you see it with, you know, particularly I think families that have like one child and that child just is really within the box. Mm -hmm. I've often seen it where they just don't, they don't understand Mm -mm. these variations. But how, how do you get, you know, I just read this other book, another book club book, uh, it's an autobiography of Miss Pat. It's called mm-hmm. Rabbit. And her story w- just absolutely opened my mind in so many ways to what I thought I knew about people growing up in poverty. I, I didn't grow up in poverty. But you think you know how hard it is. And then you read something or experience something and you go, I had no, no idea. And what an asshole I am for even thinking I did. So how do you give people, even people going through divorce, like how do you give them that information or people 
adjacent to people going through divorce, right? If my best friend's going through divorce and they're handling things maybe not the right way, quote, how do you enlighten yourself as someone who's adjacent to them as maybe they're, you know, what's going on for them that makes it more difficult or not a straight line as a path? How do you do that? You mean like, how do you enlighten someone or who doesn't, who isn't, if, who isn't looking to be enlightened? Is that what you're saying? Who's like, because I mean, I think that's a problem a lot yeah. of the time, right? The people who you want to get the information just don't. It's like the kid, it's like the parents whose kids never do anything wrong. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I guess um, you're right. That how do you? Can you just slap them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a good thing on the other side of that is to always be the person who's asking friends, like, what do you see in this situation? Right. You've what said that you before. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah, this was making me think earlier when we were talking about um, kind of like, how do you break down what's what you're upset about and what's yours in this like you're mad at your spouse or your divorcing partner whatever and like what's yours in it and what's theirs and I think a lot of times especially when it's been fraught with anger for a long time it takes a third party so Mm -hmm. if it can be a therapist fantastic but if it can just be a trusted friend because you can't see a lot of times what's yours and what's theirs or how you're a match to that. Right. Now it's like, yeah, he's doing this and that's not okay, but you enable that. You've been enabling that for 15 years, but you can't see that about yourself or you wouldn't be doing it. That's really good advice to find Mm -hmm. someone trusted that you can say, what do you see here? Yeah. Even with your parenting. Yes. What what do you see? Yes, for sure. You know, there's a balance there because, so you have to be careful about who you're asking because but I guess you know the answer to this. There are things that I do with my kids that I think other people see as extremely permissive, but to me, it's a strategy and it's a long-term strategy. And I don't really care that they see it as extremely permissive because I right. I have complete confidence in that. Right. So, you know, it is, you're going to get some feedback that you totally disagree with, but you're also yeah. going to get some feedback that is pretty great. Well, you pay attention to how it hits you, right? Yeah. Yeah. How it hits you viscerally. Yeah. Bert and I were talking about shame again the other day and he was like, yeah, I guess when people try to shame you and you really don't have any responsibility in that, it doesn't really work. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. We're we're thinking about getting a new bull mastiff puppy and he put that on social media and people are like, how can you get a puppy from a breeder? Blah, blah, blah. You need to adopt. You need to adopt. And he was like, it's not really affecting me. Like they're trying to shame me into getting a rescue. I don't really give a shit. I want a bull mastiff. That's what I want. There are puppies everywhere that are bull mastiffs. So I guess that's how shame works. It was one of those moments yeah, where you're yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. So if I don't feel responsibility for what someone is pointing their finger at me for, I don't really have, I don't accept it. That sort of is is reflective of the trigger conversation yes, too. It's like the reason that. that triggers are so triggering is because you're buying it on some level to mm-hmm. something that you may be doing wrong. So, you know, that's yes. why it's the same thing. It's, but you're right. And if it rolls off you, it's like, you're just having a bad day or I just don't agree with your opinion. Right. <laughs> like, it's yeah. always interesting to pick the ones that don't bother you because it so highlights the ones that do. Mm-hmm. Like we all right. have instances where people say something that should be insulting and you're like, Oh, huh. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Glad yeah. you think that way. I don't. Like people have told, you know, this has been a while, but people have told me that I'm going to hell for like living with people, you know, <laughs> I'm like, 
that doesn't bother. That doesn't people bother. in LA? No. It's been a while. People in Missouri. It's been a while. It's been I mean, not while. Missouri, Montana. Montana. No, not, you know, not really people in Montana. But <laughs> I'm I joking. Some, I'm joking. There are some people that have said that I'm going to hell. And uh, yeah, it just. Who are like, these people in LA? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to name names. But, uh, no, you know, well, of course some, I wouldn't want you to name names. There but are some people. If you were like missionaries walking up and down the street going, you're going to hell. The Mormon missionaries would never do that. No. But there are other ones that would. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think um, asking your friends is probably a really good thing to do because I would imagine as an adult, if you're going through a divorce, you're not completely in your right frame of mind. Right. Yeah. Right. You can't. It would be an exceptional human. Yeah. To be yeah. in your right frame of mind and divorcing at the same time. Yeah. So to fall back on someone that you really trust and try to get in an open-hearted space to hear what they have to say and take or leave what resonates. And maybe, you know, smart. teachers too, I would say, because they're going to know your kids, you know, and so point. I would want, I would want to reach out to whomever could give me outside information right. about my kids. Just they may be wrong, but just what are they observing? Yes, but I always want to know uh what my kids are like without me around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not to be nosy, but to say, to see if there's any flags. My whole, I feel like parenting is about looking for flags. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where is there a problem? And uh, like Georgia has said to a couple of people, she's not really happy at her high school. But to me, she says she's happy. And I was like, hmm, how do I have this conversation without outing my friends? And, and but being very pointed and saying, you know, are you happy? Right. But I need to know that. Like, I feel like I need to know at least what she's representing to the other friends, even if what she's telling me is the truth. Right. Right. Why is she representing herself that way if she really is happy there? So I actually just outed my friends and said, a couple of adults have said that you've said you're unhappy. Are you unhappy? And she said, you know, I am happy, unhappy in a couple of places, but I don't want to leave the school. I'm happy with the school overall. But yeah, there's a couple of places I'm not super happy. And I was like, well, what are those places? And she said, well, you know, I, I, I wish I had more friends and I wish sometimes the girls weren't so petty, but I understand that it's going to be like that every high school. But that doesn't make me really happy. And I was like, okay, well, just so you know, when you're telling other adults that you're unhappy, they think that's kind of an urgent matter. So they're letting me know that you're unhappy. So now I want to make sure you're okay. What? No, there's no wrong answer. If you're unhappy, then let's look for another school. But if you're happy with some asterisks, then that's probably, you're right, going to happen anywhere. So is it worth moving? Let's have a discussion. But just so you know, when you tell them that, they're like four alarm fire. Georgia's not happy at high school. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, just be cognizant of that. And I think she kind of heard me, but but I need to know that. Yeah. You know? I need to know and that. And that makes me think of something I was thinking about for a divorce too, is just like your kids might need help with how they're going to tell their friends. Yes. Oh. Because oh, they're either yeah. going <gasps> to do whatever it is and you're going to learn from it. or So, I mean, helping them message it because that's how it's going to be messaged to them. Right. You know, is really important. I mean, this comes to like we've talked we talked about this when Anne was here and several times about like having the script because it's important for the parents to have the script about what they're going to say to people. But it's also important for the kids 
That's great advice. What do you say? Right, right. You Let's know. write a script mm-hmm. so that someone could use it. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you can help them write that script in a way that communicates to their friends how to talk to them. Like, and by that, I mean, I'm going to give an example for from an adult perspective. I don't want people to say bad things about Mike. I actually hate it when it pisses me off. Well, yeah. When people make little digs at Mike because... I've worked really hard to have a good relationship with him. And so when my friends think they're getting on my, you know, like getting on my side by taking little digs at him, it pisses me off because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've like, this has been hard work and I feel unacknowledged and I feel like they're egging something on that doesn't need to be there. And so I've been very intentional. Like I'm so intentional about what I say to him, to other people. And most of the time I say, I love Mike. I have a great relationship with him because I want to communicate to them don't talk trash about my ex. Right. Just like, I don't want to go there. That doesn't help me in any way. And I think you can do that with kids as well. Like talk to them about what they need from their friends mm-hmm. and be really honest about it. And maybe they have, you know, maybe they're in a place where they need friends to, you know, like sit down and let them, let them cry. And <laughs> <laughs> at least oh, we don't have Mustang Lord. boxers on or whatever. No, no Mustang <laughs> boxers. Bert's peering in the door there. Oh, that man, that man, I swear to God. <laughs> He is something I don't else. think I've ever been here without seeing him shirtless. There's never well, he, been yeah. a time. He's from Florida. No yeah. shirt, no shoes, no service. That's, Not once. He never wears a shirt, <laughs> ever. But for there's, there's also a piece of that script, which I think you were getting to, which is whether or not they want their kids to even bring it up or talk to them about it. You know, it's like, yeah, you, totally. sometimes you just don't want to be asked. This, this comes from my work with people with cancer was, you know, you go to the grocery store and like all these really nice, well-meaning people who are just trying to say, I care about you. Mm-hmm. Like, how's your treatment? How's your cancer? And like, you just don't want to 50 times a day yeah. have to go there. And so to have a way of saying it, but I imagine, you know, for kids too, it's like whatever it is, you know, it's just like, you know, yeah, it's hard right now. And, um, but I'm trying to like think of better things when I'm at school, just so it doesn't make me sad or whatever it is just yeah. to like signal I don't want to talk about it at school or right. I'll, I'll let you know if I want to talk about it. Or maybe you, know, you do want to talk maybe about you it. Do want to talk about it. It's all like, the time. So check in with me. Yes, and, you know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And thanks yeah. for asking yeah. Yeah. You know, to validate the other person because the other person is usually well-meaning. Or know. could you help me like tell the other kids so they don't feel like yes. they all have to have a conversation with me? Totally. Could you so, like, like you could a, just be the, you know telephone person yeah could you send like, a text let everyone know everybody. i'm okay don't talk but, about it yeah parents are divorcing don't talk about it parents are divorcing don't talk about it like that that would be really helpful right just exactly running through the hall screaming it that is probably yeah, how it no. goes but yeah it is probably how it goes but yeah, yeah you're right that's a really I, I hadn't thought about that especially when you get into middle school high school you know when they're mm-hmm. small not that it matters less, but kids process that differently. You know, where they go, most of them are like, okay, you know, because they're all so self. I, I don't think they can relate it to, oh, how would that affect me if that happened to me? I think so once you get in middle right. school, you start going, oh, that would be bad. She must be really sad. Um, that's a good point. How do you say, you know, this is really hard and I don't want to talk about it is okay. And to be able to hear that as a friend, too, Mm -hmm. to be able to hear that. To parent, that's another thing that what I was very inarticulately trying to say is, how do you help the people in your life 
while you're going through divorce help you. You know yes. what I mean? Because people need to know what yes. feels supportive. Yeah. We just, even the closest people in our lives can't read our minds. No. Like we need to yeah. tell them, which feels weird. It's like, ugh, now I have to be the one who like tells people how to help me, but it's worth that initial effort because otherwise people are going to miss and it's going to feel annoying. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. People will let you down or they, they will be there too much or they won't be there for you. And you're you. going to get resentful. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, for me, I don't like talking. I, I, there, are f- there are a few people that I like talking to things about, but it's, you know, select group of people and they have certain traits and those are the ones that I talk to about it. And I've told you this before. It would have been so helpful for me to have communicated that early right. on right um more effectively right this does not feel supportive to me but this does right and even thinking like for example you know parents like when if someone's divorcing it could be likely that the you know your mother hates your soon-to-be ex-husband or whatever that is but you just might need to set some boundaries there too <laughs> like, Good point. Sure. i don't really it doesn't help me right to hear you bitching about him all the time like i'm trying to you know what i mean but yeah. like again if you don't tell people they're going to do what they do and there's a way to if you think about it beforehand to do it kindly and be like but you could help me in another way like could you could you help me just remind me of other stuff and we when when we talk you know try to remind me that I'm still fun and wh- whatever it is and you know come yeah. over and do my laundry I mean yeah. that brings up to me too how important it is to allow people to support you because mm-hmm. I think there's a big group of people who don't I just had this conversation with my mom yesterday my stepdad is has um, advancing Alzheimer's Aww. and they live in the country in a, the outside of this tiny town and everybody in my family has been trying to support my mom and she's just not letting it happen. And she finally said, I really, the thing that I really need is for somebody to come clean my house. I can't do that because she's in Montana, but, but there are people she could hire to do that. And she said, I just feel like such a failure that I'm not working Um, I have all this time, but I can't get it together to clean my house. Right. And so, you know, being able to communicate to her, people want to support you. It feels good to us. You're doing us a favor when you tell us things like that. And we can't come clean your house, but we can help you find someone who can come clean your house. We can, you know, organize all of that. And it feels good. Mm -hmm. And I think people going through a divorce oftentimes just think I want to hold it together and I don't want to burden anybody but it feels good for your, your friends and family want to help you. And That's they actually right. feel kind of hurt when they feel yes. pushed out. I think so too. You're doing yeah. them a favor when you when you allow them to help you. So I wonder if it would be helpful. I know this would probably be helpful to me if I were going through a divorce to sit down, pad and paper and write down what you need mm-hmm. and who can help you with what mm-hmm. you need. And some things maybe is just for you to take care of. But there you could just exactly like you said, I need someone to clean my house. If someone would drop off dinner one night a week, that would be so great. Yeah. Drive my kids to this sport. Yes. Mm-hmm. And who can help me do that? So that you can, you know, wrap your head around managing your life so that you can feel your emotions and have space to to heal, really. Because it is a it is a tragedy, even when it's for the best. Yeah, it's really difficult. There's a, just such a mixture of emotions, and then and should we talk about the liminal space? Do we have time? Yeah, yeah. Do you have time? Yeah, I got plenty of time. Okay, so there's this concept in psychology called the liminal space, and Kristen and I know about it. We were supposed to do a whole podcast about this. Oh, you were? Yeah, oh, so yeah, we yeah. talked about. It's this. on my oh, list. Right. Well, it's on my we, list. Can we talk about it today? Yeah, we'll talk about. It. Okay, 
We know about it in different contexts. So I have, you know, a different context than Kristen does. So you jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. But the liminal space is, it's a term in psychology to describe a transition. And we all go through times of transition. And what I love about this concept is that the one of the ways that it is defined is that when you're in the liminal space, your old routines and rituals no longer apply but you have yet to establish new routines and rituals. So really it's called limbo. Yes. <laughs> like I like I have this visual of it. It's like you're in a boat and you're going from one side of the whatever river to the other and in this middle it's like a total gray misty cloud. So you can't see anything. Right. So you can't really even see the shore behind you and you can't really even see the shore in front of you. You know you're between two things but you really don't know where you are and you're blind. Got it. And I like the the one that is really obvious is if you move into a new house in a new neighborhood, you don't have a coffee shop or a grocery store or a gym or any of those things. You are in the liminal space mm-hmm. and you have to reinvent yourself. And so like, can I say one more thing about yeah. it? Where it really comes is grief. Yes. Like the where that like where you're really lost in the cloud. It's right. some it's big. Like it's typically used for something that big. So Got it's it. not a tra- yeah. I mean, it can be a transition. You can use it for whatever yes. you want moving, but it's really from grief because you or divorce it's a huge identity like and a shattering of your whole sense of what is yeah so that's how big it is so i know about it because i edited a book by it was called beautiful grief and it was by um a father and daughter tony rose and Catherine rose and um tony's 28 year old son and katie's 28 year old brother same person johnny rose died just died in his bed their mom found him his mom found him oh my and, you know, they had to totally reinvent themselves. And they t- this, the book is a lot about the liminal space because there's a danger of it in that. And it's very apparent in death, but um, also in divorce. When you're trying to hold on to those old rituals mm-hmm. and your whole life becomes centered around like the loss of those rituals and mm. the mourning of those rituals, then you stay in that liminal space. You You never really create the new routines and rituals because everything is centered around your loss. Right. And so I think that's true in divorce as uh, yeah, well. I would imagine. Right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, imagine the people who years and years and years later are still angry and, and sad about those routines and rituals that They're they tethered. no longer have. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes. Tethered to the past. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so when you're working through that, there is like there's the logistics of what do I need that you almost have to get on paper. And then there's also at some point a little further along a conversation about what does the new home culture look like? Mm -hmm. What does this look like now that our old routines aren't here anymore? And what I love about this is that when you're being intentional about establishing those new routines and rituals, you get to involve your kids in it. Mm. So what do you want this to look like now? Right. And you know, now that this is a three-person family instead of a four-person family, what does it actually look like? Right. And you get input from them in ways that can be really beautiful and help you move mm-hmm. onto a, you know, to a reinvented home culture. And, uh, you know, if you frame it the right way, it's very empowering and it could be very spiritual. Mm-hmm, it could be mm-hmm. very um, exciting because you get to kind of go, what wasn't working? Okay, yep. we don't have to do that anymore. Right. Yep. Throw it out. Now we get to figure out what does work. Mm-hmm. And you can even set, I would imagine, you could say, this is a trial and error 
this this is maybe how we want it to look. It may take us a couple tries to get there. You know, we may set up this system that doesn't work and we have to throw it out. And now we got to set up something else in place. What an exciting thing to look forward to that will pull you out of. I like your I like how you said tethered. Mm-hmm. And I also still like the water imagery, too, mm-hmm. because because there's no set timing and everyone has a different time for, especially for something like grief, but divorce is grief too. And so I like the idea that if you think about water and like being tethered, it's not abrupt. It's Mm. like, you're going to slowly get to the other side and you might pull back a little Mm -hmm. bit, but you're slowly getting there. So for everyone to have permission Mm. to take their own time Mm -hmm. and that this is a place we are in and it's normal and it's real to feel really scared and really unsure. And we're going to try some things and we won't like some and we'll go forward, but then we'll take two steps back and this is what it is. And then one day we'll realize that we've been on the other side, but it's probably not like, yay, we're here. Boom, stick your flag in. It's like, oh, we're going to look back and realize like, oh, we're all here now. Right. So I just think there's something about that being really gentle about expectations with people too, that this is not like, you're going to get over this. And it's like, you know what? Take as long as you need because it's grief. Divorce is grief. Yeah. Divorce is grief. And I would be very suspect of someone who went, yay, we're here. Stick the flag in. We're done. Yeah. Because yeah, but think about but people who, who nah. you know, who don't want to own or go into that's all the I mean. messiness of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah but and, that's what I mean. My yeah. mother, after every divorce, was like, done. Right. Moving on. Yeah. I done. Think that's Moving happened. on. And you than... go, yeah, but shouldn't you stop a minute and go, Hey, what didn't work here? Right. You know, this reflection. And since I'm in all six divorces, right. perhaps <laughs> some right. of this is me. But she sticks that fucking flag in, boom, done. I did it. I'm done. You're severed. You know, I think you see it a lot though. I actually think you see it a lot where people at least what that's what they try to present to the world is I'm getting divorced and everything's fine. Yeah. I'm getting divorced and it's everything's not true. fine. And yeah, yeah even it's I not mean, true. It my can't divorce be true. was as right amicable as they come. It really was. There was a lot that went on before we got divorced. But the actual divorce itself was like, we didn't have attorneys. We didn't need any of that. It was, we just agreed on everything. We also didn't have a lot of assets. So that made things easier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even that, there's a a period where you're like, okay, what what am I going to do now that I don't have another person here with me? Yeah. What other people do I need to involve? Or even just those times when all of a sudden you're home alone in your house and you used to have everyone there. I know, but I actually loved that. (laughs) I did. I remember I would see, I I had this girlfriend who would, every time her kids went to go with their dad, she would post something about how quiet the house was and how lonely she was. And I was like, God, am I the worst person? Because when my kids went to be with their dad, I was like, okay, what am I watching on TV? This is fantastic. Well, I have to say, I would be like you because when Bert leaves and the kids are at school, I'm like, freaking party. Um, But to speak to people who aren't that way, to have yeah. a plan, yeah. To say, you know yes. what? I'm going to go to my friends. I'm going to the movies. I'm going to, I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to start learning how to rock climb. And those are the days I'm yeah. going to go rock climb. Whatever it is that you can do, I'm going to go to the library and spend the but day. Talk at the about library. letting people support you in those yes. times is the perfect. Time. That's when you need to reach and know yourself. If you know yourself and you know that that's when you go dark, mm-hmm. then you should. Put some put some buffers, you know? How do I keep myself from going too dark? And do I need to go dark this weekend and just crawl in a hole and cry all weekend? Fine. 
do that. But if that's your every weekend, you should maybe start being suspicious. Yeah. And what <laughs> comes up for me on this too, because you're talking about rock climbing and things like that, is the importance at some point. I mean, this doesn't have to happen the day after you find out that you're getting divorced. But at some point, get really honest about where your confidence is and what you can do to improve it. Because having having access to hobbies that make you feel good about yourself is so important Yeah, where you can go out and go, I, you know, maybe I went through this divorce and it was really embarrassing and humiliating, but I feel really good doing this thing. Right. It's empowering. It hels build positive self-esteem. I think Mm -hmm. when you, whatever your interest is to go and do that and feel fulfilled by that, because that is from you for you, right? It is not based on another person usually. Yeah. If you're going to go watch, you know, a pitch perfect movie marathon in a movie theater and that's your gig and you leave there feeling like that was the best thing I've ever done, that is really of you for you. And people, I think, tend to get lost in that divorce in the process and lose themselves a little bit because who you thought or what you thought was happening is no more. And now you're in that liminal space, even when with who you are, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I would imagine it would do that to um, people who are healthy. Didn't do that to my mom, <laughs> but I would imagine it would make me start going, well, who am I then? And instead of getting yeah. lost in that question, to start answering the question. Yeah. Right? yeah, it feels like it's like a a stage thing where at first it's just how can you like bare minimum take care of yourself so stabilize. you can just kind of get through the day, stabilize and just start to even be able to think clearly because that's yeah. just not like let yourself off the hook for making other big decisions or anything else. Right. And then it seems like, you know, it does naturally turn to like I think you know you're on the other side when you can look back and say you know, this is what I learned about myself from that relationship and that experience. And I have a vision for going forward. Like, I don't know, I don't know how long it's going to take or whatever. And it's still kind of murky, but I know what I learned and I know what I want, Mm -hmm. or at least I'm starting to have a picture of that. And so, so then that relationship served you Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're going to do, you're going to go on to something that's going to feel better. And obviously you have optimism or you would still not be on the other side, you know, that there is even, so that's a pretty long distance to have to come. Yeah. But you certainly can't start thinking about that when you're just in the pit. No, when you just rip the bandaid off. slow, slow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true too. I would imagine we're talking about amicable. Yeah. uh, I, you know, let's get divorced. But it happens that someone shows up and goes, I'm out, I'm, I'm done, I'm over. Yeah. And the other person has no idea. And I would imagine that would be far more damaging, devastating, um, emotional in a certain way because it would be so abrupt, especially mm-hmm. if there's some betrayal, you know, if someone's cheated and they're like, nope, I'm now moving on and I'm marrying my secretary and, mm-hmm. and uh, I never loved you or anything that would come along with a package that looked like that. I would imagine that would be much harder than two adults coming to the agreement (laughs) that it's time to move to a different place. You know, I think people who have that dropped in their lap, it's got to be a moment in their life where they question everything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's got to be a lot of shame. And they can't trust themselves. I mean, that they can't trust what their gut has been telling them. Yeah. What stinks about that is that if you're with somebody who's lying 
and you're trusting that, it's hard for you to forgive yourself. Yeah. To say, this wasn't me. Mm. Yeah, maybe it was 10% me. Okay, I'll take the 10%. But this really wasn't me. It's really hard to do that. Or at least it was for me with my relationship with my mom to go, yeah, I had moments of not being the best kid. But that doesn't make me a horrible human. And that doesn't mean that the reason I can't have a relationship with her was because of those moments where I was a horrible kid. I mean, I think it all comes down to being able to trust your own self, your own inner wisdom, which is a which is a process to actually build that. And if you if you didn't have that, then I mean, it can be done. But like, that's the focus of, you know, of what you do. And it's it's literally like one relationship at a time. And it doesn't have to be an intimate relationship, but like a friend relationship, a sibling, like whatever it is. But there are ways in your relationship to start perception checking. Yes. You know, but it requires, you know, conscious effort and probably someone else, like probably someone who does this for a living, I would guess, or someone like you who's done it, you know, because it's a you're rewiring your brain, like you're creating new neural pathways, Mm -hmm. literally Mm -hmm. in your brain. And so, you know, I always think that like it's like a the way we see the world is so colored through this matrix of beliefs that we have that if you're going to see the world a different way, you literally have to, like, you take those old beliefs away and there's nothing there. Right. So you have to f- intentionally look for, could this be true? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go find evidence that this could be true and test it. So it's just a, totally can be done, but it's just a process. And it's terrifying because mm-hmm. yeah. those beliefs keep you safe. Right. It's like a net, And right? you can't see them because you've been believing them forever and just taking them for granted that they're true. Right. Which is why you need another person in there with you to be like, you know, that's doesn't have to be true. Yeah. Or let's break that down. Let's break that that down. Let's break that down. Is that accurate? How can you how can you know whether or not someone's trustworthy? I mean, it's a fascinating and super important process. And it's it's a it's a hard one. It's a big one. It is really hard to trust to trust when the world has not been trustworthy. Yes. To feel safe when the world has the truth of your world is that it has not been safe and people were not trustworthy. So I mean, that's big. It, it it requires a lot of self, not love, but you have to really know who you are. And I would imagine if my husband showed up and went, I don't love you. I want a divorce. It would make me not know who I was on a certain level. I'd have to dig deep to go again. I'd have to put pad to, a pen to paper and go, who am I? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. do I believe? Mm-hmm. What do I know for sure? Mm-hmm. And start from there. But the cool thing is, I mean, this is why I love psychology, is that when you realize that those beliefs, it's like the, it's like a tree, right? And they're the roots of the tree and the trunk of the tree. And it's like who you are, it does grow out of what you believe. But you learned to believe those things from somewhere in the past. Right. And it's a puzzle, Because when you realize that, oh, this is why I believe that, but, well, this person had a different experience and she's able to believe that. Just because I didn't get that root doesn't Uh mean I can't grow it now. Right. Right? So it's just a, it's nothing more. You're not doomed. No. Because of the beliefs you just happen to get. But it does require looking at them and like putting the puzzle together and then saying, okay, no, this is the tree that I want to become now. And this root does not serve me, but I got this one really strong one that's great, you know, yeah. and, and that's, I mean, 
it's simple, but it's not easy. That's right. Right. It's simple, but it's not easy. It takes a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. It's like growing carrots. Simple, not easy. Right. You know, you can, everybody can do it, but you do have to maybe do some learning mm -hmm. and figure the shit out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've said this in another podcast recently. Um, someone reached out through email and um, asked me for a book recommendation. And I recommended a book, first one that popped in my mind, mind I haven't read in 20 years. It was The Four Agreements. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that book just popped in my head and I went, well, maybe I should read that book because <laughs> I haven't read it in 20 plus years. And I read it again and I started figuring out where I started growing new roots. Mm. And then I thought, mm, I'm going to go back and read all those books mm -hmm. from when I was Fantastic. 20 years old mm -hmm. and I am finding where I grew those roots. This is without a therapist. Yep. This is me asking me saying, I'm not thinking in a way that makes me happy. So how can I learn to think and behave in ways that make me happy? And this was just this was just a thought inside you. There's some part of you that knew you could read, like change how you think. That's just so no, cool. not entirely. I was going to see a massage therapist who was also a Reiki yeah. guy oh, yeah, yeah. who would say, you know, the tapes that you were playing in your head yeah. are not accurate. Was this the Scientologist? No. Okay. Um, no. Um, so you need you need new tapes. So why don't you read this book and see what you right. think about it? And so I would read the book and go, okay, I kind of see what you're getting at. But you don't just read the book and go, okay, now my brain is thinking those no, thoughts. it's like one little thing gets yes. in there. But it's amazing. I read the four agreements and I went, I actually try to live those agreements every day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that's where that root right. came from. And now I've started reading You Can Heal Your Life, which was the second self-help book I ever read. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, this is exactly how I have trained myself to think. It started with this book. The second book, first book I read was Creative Visualization about manifesting mm -hmm. what you wanted. And I don't have that book. I just happen to have this one on my shelf. I kept it because that book, I guess, meant a lot to me. So I've kept it for since I was 20. So 40, 28 years. And I started reading that book. And I've just been amazed that that's where my roots started. The new roots started. Just exactly what you're talking about. And don't you think, I mean, I call it spirituality, but call it whatever you want to. But like, I think that's how it is. It's like, you just need a little crack of curiosity. Yes. And then it's like a breadcrumb trail. And then, you know, three people in the same week will say, oh, you should read this book or whatever. And yes, all of a sudden, yes. and this leads to that. And, and you listen. It's just so, it's, you just, it will, you will get the answers. It's yes. like, I always say at the bottom of kind of all the main religions are some of the same tenets. And one of them is, you know, seek and you shall find, yeah. ask and it is answered. And I just yeah. think like my 17-year-old is on that right now too, where like one book's leading to another and his mind is just on fire with all these ideas. And it's just so cool. And yeah. he was like, well, I don't know what to do next. I'm like, just ask, like, just say like, I'd, I'd be curious about learning about this. And I promise you, because it'll be in your consciousness. You'll talk about it to people and then boom, someone will say something and you're just off. It's just yeah. so. It's, it's really amazing. But It's like being in the flow, mm -hmm. right? Yep. If you ask, if you open yourself up and go, I want to receive, mm -hmm. give me what I need. Yes. And even I remember doing that when I was Scott, the massage therapist, Reiki guy told me to do that. Yeah. He was like, just open yourself to the universe and say, give me what I need. 
I want it. There's Give so it to me. much power in that. To be open to receiving it. You can say I want it, but if you're not really open to receiving right. it, it won't show up. Uh, no matter what that is, wealth, prosperity, love, happiness, whatever, it's not going to show up if you're not open to receiving it. So you have to really open yourself to receiving. I was thinking when you were talking earlier, too, about faith. I am not religious, but I have a belief that things happen as they should, mm-hmm. right? If you're open to the flow mm-hmm. of life, if your husband shows up and goes, I'm done, I'm out, I'm divorced, not that you want that or wish that on anyone, but to ask the question, why is this happening for me? What is my growth supposed to be? Mm-hmm. If this is, if I have faith that life unfolds as it should, I have free will mm-hmm. and I have choices that I can make that can keep me in or out of this flow of life. But if this is what's happening, then how do I get back in the flow? What's my flow supposed to be now? Am I supposed to be reinventing myself? Am I supposed to be learning who I am? Have I been neglecting a part of myself Mm -hmm. for this relationship? Because clearly this person was not right for me. Whatever that other person's issue is and why they decided to leave is their issue. So what is mine? Not that there even has to be an issue, but what is my path? Why is this happening? Or and what I even, accept it. What about even just like, what if this isn't bad, right? So it's like, which exactly. is hard, but it's like the idea that like the reason we are in pain is because we have a belief that it's not going to be better. Uh, partially. I mean, there's there's grief and all those things too, but it's like the what if, like when you can mm-hmm. get to the like, what if this isn't bad? Like, what if there's something better on the other side? It's like all of a sudden- There's so much possibility there. Yeah. Or even to believe that. Mm -hmm. Not even to ask what if. To me, I believe certain things or I go, well, this is happening because something better is coming next. Yeah. If you can do that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think I really do believe in that flow. And if you if you're not in the flow, nothing's working. Like you stump your toe and then you drop a glass and then you get in a car accident. And then, you know, all these things that have nothing to do with what's going on emotionally for you start telling you this is not working. Stop now and kind of recalibrate yourself and then go again. At least that's the way I approach life is I go, if things are too difficult, then it shouldn't be happening. I mean, I agree with you. Sometimes it's just like, why am I having to try so hard for this thing when there's an easier path right here. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And saying, I'm open to receive yeah. that easier path. Bring yeah, it yeah. on. Yeah. I don't need to be right or to be it to be my way. You know, there's that funny thing that says, if you want to make God la- laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I believe that. You know, I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I just don't believe that I need to be religious to believe that's that. one of my favorite chapters actually from the book that you just did in book club is the surrender with intention because oh, surrender did you see the clip i posted yeah. today <laughs> oh is that no, is no that... i posted another small clip today about surrendering with yeah, intention because yep. it's just like surrendering is not doesn't mean giving up what you want it means giving up having to like fight it and manifest it the way you think it's supposed to be like just hold your desires but let go of having to control what happens and be open to the fact that like oh maybe this is something that is actually going to serve me better and ultimately going to be in alignment with what my desires are, but I couldn't see this. Yeah. And if a marriage is not working, you're not moving forward. 
as a human being, I don't think. Right. You're stuck in this tumultuous kind of bad system. And so if a divorce happens, even if it's unexpected on your part, then you were stuck in a bad system you were maybe not aware of. Mm -hmm. And there's no more clear mirror than like an intimate relationship, like a marriage mm. to sh for you to learn about yourself. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Like yeah. we learn through humans. Our children are too, but it's a little different. But this choice to be in partnership with another human being like there's just there's it's such a mirror if you yeah. choose to do your own work from it. Yes. If you choose to do your own work and allow yourself again, open up and go, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know. And there's just no going back either, I think, is the really great thing about it is like you said that to me once that once you become self-aware of no. something. Yeah. You can't become unself-aware. Right. It doesn't get worse at no. that point. No. It doesn't like, you know, shift shift backward. It just, you keep going. and It, it is, may get harder. Right. Yes. But it doesn't get worse. There were times when I first started working with Kristen where I was like, this is goddamn miserable because... <laughs> <laughs> because I remember there was an exercise where you, like, I was looking at my childhood mm -hmm. and I was like, shit, my childhood was not good. And like just sitting in that and yeah. sitting in like, I was an unhappy person. Yeah. It was really upsetting, yeah. but, but in a very productive way, mm -hmm. in a, in a way where once, once that crack is there, then it's like, okay, I can come to terms with this. What am I going to do next? Right. And the same exact thing in divorce. It is there are moments that are horrible, but if you're open to it and if you let those cracks happen, you don't go back. No. And you get the opportunity when the crack happens, then you can fill it with positive, mm -hmm. with whatever you want, with healing, with a new way of thinking, with neuro, new neuro pathways, with chocolate, you know, with whatever <laughs> you want. But if you don't let that fissure happen, it's not possible if you don't look at the nasty stuff and sit with it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to sit with it and go, you know what? Every time he had a problem with me, I became defensive immediately. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. Yeah. That's not okay. I don't want to represent myself that way, but I did that every time. And now I feel like shit for that. And I should because that's how you learn. And you go... You don't feel like you're a shitty person, but you may feel like shit in that moment and go, that sucks. I don't want to do that behavior anymore. Yeah. And that is the way that you really forgive yourself is to like people say you should forgive yourself, but it's not just, oh, I forgive myself. It's <laughs> I know what I did. I, of course, corrected. I've actually implemented that. And now I can forgive myself. That's right. You are yeah. right. Forgiveness. Well, I'm not right. Kristen's right. I'm just making okay. a chapter. <laughs> you are right. You are correct. 100%. I agree with you. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What people don't understand, I think, about forgiveness is it's not for the other person. Right. Yeah. It's for you. Yep. And if you say, he, we didn't get along. Our marriage sucked. We were really dysfunctional. You had part in it. I had part in it. I forgive you and I forgive myself, then you're free. Yeah. And yeah. so is the other person. They're free too in your sphere of the world. And really right? there's even one step further, which is the, you know what? I bless this relationship in my life because look what I gained, learned, everything. I mean, even the worst ones, really, there's something for both people in them. Absolutely. Did you read Boys in the Boat? No. <sighs> 
so good. So good. Is I it? love that book so much. But there's this, there's a piece about forgiveness in there that is that stayed with me really? so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it. But if anybody here, if anybody watching needs to forgive, read Boys in the Boat. Okay. It can be it was slow probably until like page 60, 80. Yeah, even. It, takes it was a little, paid, it takes pages. a while to get yeah. into. Okay. It. I'll put it but on my it list. It is one of my favorite books. It's one of her favorite books. I'm like madly in love you with know one what of it's the about? characters. No, it's a. I mean, it's a true story about I, an American I, rowing team and during Hitler's. Um, what Olympics, was it? The nineteen thirty six Olympics. So yeah. anyway, it's but it's just fascinating. So historically, it's fascinating. But then the personal story of this guy is. I'll have to remarkable. read it. Yeah, you know, it's about resilience. That's why we. Aha! Uh-huh. That yeah. book is probably when we were working on Kristen's first book, which hasn't been published yet. So it's her second book. We read a whole bunch of stories of resilience, and that one, and then Endurance by Shackleton were. Yeah, easily my two favorites. I'll have to look yeah. at the boys in the boat then. Yeah, um, I'll definitely do that. So one more thing came to mind. We were talking about the tethering. Mm-hmm. Uh, not forgiving keeps you tethered. Yes, yes, yep. And if you're so maybe you're tethered for a bit. Maybe you blame. Right. You point your finger, and that's part of your process. Which I'm gonna. Can I just say something about yeah, that? Yeah, totally please. You, but like no. there is a there is especially for certain people who. Um, you know, we're in a relationship maybe where they just didn't have a voice for whatever reason. Like their anger is not bad. No. Like anger is better than just being so disempowered, right? So like you don't want to stay in it forever, but if you're if you're being angry is saying, I deserve better. Right. I deserve better than this. Right. Then that's okay. As yeah. long as it's you're passing through it yes. on the way up to the Better That's feeling like, emotions, right? But so, yeah, so right, it's yeah. appropriate sometimes. Sometimes you just didn't get respected or whatever it was. And yes, you can later look at how you were a match to that too. But anyway, I just wanted to say that because you're no, right. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. You should blame. Blame sometimes. them. I mean, yeah. you just, well, no, you really. don't have to say it out loud. But I mean, you know, you it's could, like, yeah. you can yeah. say yeah. it out loud. You can, though. You, really you can, can, but you can also say to yourself, this was not my fault. This is your fault. Right. But moving through it is the important thing. Exactly. Yes. I definitely blame my mother for a lot. Right. Like, and and has, you as yeah. a little girl, like you have every right to be pissed. Like you shouldn't have had those things happen to you. And you did. And so I did. what are you going to do with it? But exactly. Yeah, be- being mad was totally appropriate for a while. Absolutely. And then, and blaming. Yeah. Go, this is your fault. Yeah. And then at a certain point I went, I'm never going to be free. Right. If this is, if I'm right. tethered to her. Exactly. With blame. So at a certain point, you got to cut it and yeah. go, I forgive. I forgive everything. Yeah. Love you. Godspeed. Yeah. But I, I think that was just a perfect example of w- with something as tumultuous as divorce. It's like just shoulding people like you should or shouldn't have any certain motion at any given time. You know what? It's not going to always be pretty. And it's okay to yeah. not always do the pretty right thing. Sometimes you're just going to have ugly emotions and like maybe not be mature and so what as long as you're yes moving i think as long as you're moving and you're not keying his car <laughs> right. or, you know throwing I rocks through his window even forgive the keying of the car <laughs> i mean look i really it may there. be criminal though that so, may be a criminal offense yeah Just that's say true it. that is true um i had this i had a therapist who talked about forgiving another person if you're you know, in a relationship with them and the importance of, I think it's called, how can I forgive you? Have you read that book? Mm -mm. There's a book about this, about the importance of that other person suffering consequences. And nobody ever says that, right? They're like, just forgive. They don't need to. And this therapist was like, no, if you're going to continue to be in a relationship with this person, 
They have to suffer consequences. And I thought that was so fascinating because nobody says that. No, now, that doesn't mean you should go key their car, <laughs> but you should be, you should allow them to suffer the consequences. Meaning allow like those a consequence of like, you're not, you're not available to them for a while or what? Like, whatever it wh- might whatever be, it is. whatever yeah. it might be. I mean, this was in the context of, so I think it is, how can I forgive you? Is in the context of, I believe in a fair. Um, and so- there are, it's not just, I forgive you because relationships recover from affairs all of the time. And they oftentimes go on to be better relationships, but now there are consequences. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I'm going to say kind of silly things right now, but for a while, I'm going to check your email. That's a consequence of, of what you did. And now we have to rebuild trust. And so having, being aware that you, you need to, that there need to be reper- repercussions to get back to the other side is important. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. I would, the checking email thing is like a whole no, other conversation. I, know, I don't think we want to go down. But, um, but I mean, what comes up for me is just, it's sort of like, sometimes you, when we get mad at our kids, we were talking about this, I think before too, when they're just like irritating, especially when they're young and they're just irritating and you're just like, ah, stop. And you wish, looking back on it, you were like, oh, honey, could you please blah, blah, blah. And have it. But the point is, I always think it's like a mother lion. Like sometimes your kids are just annoying and the mother lion, I'm not saying hit your kid and I didn't hit my kid, but like smacks the baby lion to be like, that's not appropriate behavior. And sometimes as an adult, you're like, stop it. You're being annoying. And that's like real relate. Like you're being real. Yeah. Like sometimes you just, it is actually annoying. And your response is maybe not as beautiful as you want, but it's the real life response. Like right. that's what's coming up for me. And like, if someone betrayed you, Anger is an anno- is a first appropriate response. And then there's going to be this whole continuum finally yes. of trust that's going to come from a bunch of different interactions. But if you're angry and don't trust the person, you're not going to be like going out to dinner and everything's going to be perfectly normal Correct. right away. Correct. You know? So right. it's like, right. just th- this is like, don't overthink it. Sometimes your just reaction is just, it is what it is. And that's like a natural human yes. reaction to something, I it, guess right. is my... Didn't say that very well, what I was trying well, to yeah, say. Well, yeah, and we just, you know, when keying the car, yeah, you're like you're going, there are going to be right. big real-time consequences and reactions that you might not look back and feel proud about them, but, but man, they were probably pretty appropriate at the time. That's the thing. Well, I think, I think the problem I always had, which was helpful in my moving forward in life, was I always found my responsibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sometimes it wasn't my responsibility. Yeah. And I think that may be what she's talking about, right? If you cheat on me, maybe I have some responsibility in that, but you actually cross the line and yeah. you should have a consequence. Yes. I know with my mom, I felt like she never, she never got a spanking. Mm-hmm. Right. She never got a spanking. And part of me needed her to get a spanking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that never happened. And at a point, I had to let go of that need. Yeah. I needed somebody to say, this is not okay. (laughs) This is all not okay. But that never happened. But you were also, because of the power differential, you weren't in a place where you could give her a natural consequence either. Because your natural consequence would be like, you don't deserve to have a relationship with me right now. Right. Like, you got to win back my trust, but you can't because right. you you're can't the kid. Yeah. And so you're stuck. That's right. Yeah. But I, I think I understand what the it therapist is, that, is there saying. There is a huge need on the person who was wronged to have the other person 
yes, get a spanking is a good way to say it. And, and I don't think that that's an unnatural desire. Oh, I don't think it was it's unnatural not, for me. It's, it's, Nor it do is. I think it's, it's how, an unhealthy desire. Right. No, uh, I don't yeah. think it was unhealthy. But I, I, the, the way that I cope is to always go, well, what can I do? Like, exactly like your book says. What can I do to make myself feel better now? Yes. What can I do to and help myself now? And we know we can't now? change the other person. Like, that's just you can't totally change the other frustrating. Person. It's a yeah. complete... But I think I know what the therapist is saying. I would have loved it if my mother had gotten a spanking. When you, that would have been amazing. <laughs> once again, I am not advocating keying right, cars. I mean, but you can... Like, I can forgive you if you had said, and then I keyed her car. Mm-hmm. Because you need the other person to get that spanking. She got it's, her comeuppance. Yeah. Yes. Because, yes. you know, because like I always say, wanted her oh, to get her comeuppance. When uh-huh, she's getting right. it, she's fucking miserable. Well, that's the thing. She's Eventually, divorced six times. Totally. Yeah. She's totally... She does not understand what love is or happiness or joy in yeah. the way that I do. So right. she got her come up. It's, it's not the same as her getting a spanking. I know. I, I wanted it. her to get a spanking. Like, you know? And we <laughs> tell people like, oh, right. just forgive and forget, forgive and forget. But it's really. No, don't forget. Yeah. The forget thing. I don't. You yeah. Know, I don't don't think ever so forget. I printed right. that email she sent to me out because I said, said she sent me a horrible email one time that I had my sister-in-law read and she just cried and was like, I can't believe a mother would speak to yeah. their daughter like this. I printed it. I still have it. So I would never forget right. because then I don't go back into the relationship because I have that. Forgive her. Totally. But I will never forget that that's how she treated me and that's why I left. Mm-hmm. But there is a huge difference to me too between a, ma- a parent and then we're talking about like choosing to stick. Because you don't choose. Yeah, that's or, true. I, mean, I mean, that's true. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying like it is an interesting thing if you're going to choose to trust someone again as a partner. I mean, there's a whole, I, I just think that's a whole nother all podcast. on the table. Like anything that's going through your head is fair game to, it has to all come out and yep. get on the mm-hmm. table and be discussed because. And maybe multiple times. Yeah. You know, I would imagine if I were betrayed, I wouldn't be one and done. Right. <laughs> right? right. Let's just have this conversation. Okay, I'm done. No, that would not be the case. Right. You would have to build trust. And even if it was like, my grandparents owned a farm together, right? And my grandmother always said, my grandfather was terrible businessman, horrific businessman. And she always said, I'm behind you, but do not touch my house. Like there's no second mortgage on this house. And he did <gasps> behind her back. And I have never seen a person more betrayed in my life. Didn't cheat on her. Did they lose the house? No, but they came really close. And she was to the bone. I don't think she ever got over it. So it doesn't have to be infidelity right? in the way oh, we yeah. think of. It can be betrayal and something like that where you now should talk about it over and over again mm-hmm. until the person feels safe again. Mm-hmm. You know, and they mm-hmm. may never feel completely safe again, but to try and help them get there. And that's your responsibility. He should never have done that. I mean, that was her line in the right. sand and he went, walked right over it. Right. So then what do you expect her to do? Go, oh, it's okay. <laughs> right. I, the one thing I asked you never to do, you did, but it's okay. <laughs> that's not how it works. Right. No. You know? By the way, I love this dog. Oh, she's a sweet girl. I am not like sweet. a huge dog person in this oh, dog hanging out by me. I'm like, I would take, this is Mona. That's Mona, she yeah. I would take relaxed. Mona. Mona is the sweetest soul, I think, that has ever been on this planet. She is so sweet. Does she do anything annoying? Bark. Oh, I still take her. She's a small dog. She barks at the trash truck. She barks at a motorcycle. 
She, okay. you know, she's a big barker, but other than that, she's pretty perfect. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. Well, ladies, anything else we need to say about managing divorce, managing our Probably. feelings? I have like a whole list of talking points, but I can't think of them right now. What? Well, where's the list? <laughs> oh, it's back at my home. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do part two with the list if you want. We're actually building a specific curriculum for this, though, to help um, parents, particularly around having kids, like like what it's the like step by step thing you can do in like a, over the course of a few weeks to make sure that you're addressing this stuff to help your kids, you know, get through it as best as possible. I love that. That's so funny yeah. you say that because in the beginning, I wanted to ask you if there was a resource that parents not could that go I to. know of. Uh, yeah. That's the thing, you yeah. know. I know I, I reached out to you and my other friend, Amy, who's also a therapist, because I've had several requests from listeners. How do you find a therapist? How do you know what type of therapist? Because there's so many different types. Mm -hmm. And how do you know that they're being effective? And what do they cost? And all these questions. I was like, well, I know two therapists. I'll just have them both on and we'll talk about it. But that's the thing. People don't know where to start right. with a lot of things. And it's not super easy to find sometimes. It's really not. I mean, it's not. You have to be a detective. Mm -hmm. I mean, even looking for resources for dyslexia is like, I have to be a detective to find mm -hmm. anything that's good, you know? Right. And, you know, skills based. They're like, I, Kristen is the person that I use. <laughs> but there are some things where I've been like, I think maybe I could use the help of somebody who's not my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Closely. And it's very, very hard to find a skills-based therapist who can. Yes. Like I was looking for, I said, I want to talk about the rules of engagement in an argument. Like the, I, that's something very specific, right? Can't find it. Can't You're find kidding. It other than through Kristen. Okay. I know. See, and I had one too who I'd. We, I tried to give her to who I went to years and years ago back when I was in graduate school, but he passed away. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. My therapist is <laughs> will not give me a how you know, for a lot of stuff. Yeah. For, yeah. Where you just have to sit with it and figure it out and let it kind of present itself to you. But I'm not necessarily wired that way. I like to say, make a list of, of what you need. Mm -hmm. Just start there. Make a list. Yeah. Okay, now that you have the list... See how you can get those needs met because then that's an action I exactly. can take yep. to help myself progress. And you're right. There are not a lot of therapists. Mm -mm. Is that a life coach? What? There's got to be something no, that No, I does think it's that. what she's saying. I mean, it's a skills based. That's what I always say about myself. Yeah. It's skills based. Like I want to teach you these skills so then you don't need me anymore. You can, right. you know, know, there are things, there are ways to think about things and go about things that are going to get you there faster mm -hmm. which is and we don't have to spend four years in your childhood right either no i mean listen like rules of engagement for conflict i i get angry and defensive quickly having like some rules around that would be life-changing and that would be what three sessions let's podcast about that yeah because i would love rules of engagement too because i get also, i mean i yeah. live with an extremely emotional reactive person and my first instinct is calm down you know, and I mean, <laughs> well, that works. I don't say it out loud. I tried that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't that work. Gets the don't tell me to calm down. Yeah. And I'm like, but you really should calm down <laughs> because you can't hear me now. <laughs> well, no, I really can't hear you because you just told me to calm down. <laughs> okay, never mind. So my rules of engagement have been just I don't get to talk first. And that's not healthy for me. Right. He has to talk and get it totally out before I have any voice. Well, then how do I 
how do you go to your spouse when you are in a neutral space and go, here's our rules of engagement. And then when we start yeah. in this heated place, this sounds stupid. Pull them out. No, I don't think that sounds stupid. Here's the rules of engagement. We did that when we, when my husband and I went, he went with me to couples counseling when I was in graduate school to be a marriage and family therapist. And the guy handed you the piece of paper. And when you went in there, he didn't care what you talked about. Ah. You could talk about something tiny or something deal breaker, but you were going to do this. And he was basically a referee until you guys both got down how you were supposed to do it. And then I love this. I I know it's so great. It's so great. Okay. So let's podcast about this. This makes me super excited. I will do a mini book about it too. Okay. But I mean, I, 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 I'm going to not have much to contribute because I'm the one that needs the help on this. (laughs) Yes, you will. I have to say, I have gotten so much better just in general working with you. But yeah, I need that. Like I need a person who can go, no, no, no. Because I know I come from a family of fighters. Man, I was horrible to Mike. Just anytime there was a conflict, I was Mike, I owe you an apology. I asked Mike <laughs> about this podcast first. I was like, probably going to talk a little bit about you. Is that okay? And he was like, you can say whatever. So he's lovely. But um, I he's owe a him. He's a very sweet person. He's so wonderful. Yeah, he's so I wonderful. Like I think of him much. now like a brother. Yeah. Like he's, which but is isn't so that what great. You I want. got a brother out of it. to co-parent with a brother. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. But, a little um, incestuous, but. Well, I don't know. That creeps me out. But. <laughs> uh, like a dear friend. How about like a dear, dear friend. But he is now. Like, yeah. he's family to me. He's family. Of We're course. in this together. We're. But um, I was really awful to him when there was conflict. And I'm sure that he was terrified. Of, you know, just like bringing up totally innocuous stuff. Because now I cry. But I used to get angry. Right. And crying isn't great either. You know, like anytime anything comes up, I'm like, the <gasps> world is falling apart. That's not a great place to be either. Well, it's better than anger, probably. It's, you know, it's better than like lashing. Yes. That kind of anger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband gets like a four year old. He gets stiff and just starts saying what he needs. <laughs> and I watch him and I go, you look like a child tantruming. I can't really let I think you. that's what I look like too. And I like get kind of paralyzed and scared. And I, I see it in one of my kids. I have one of my kids is that exact same way when anytime there's a conflict, there's like this disengaged, crying, protective shell. And I know this child of mine got it from me. Right. Just watching me. Right. And it's not, that's not the way you want to manage conflict. No. So you, but I just need practice. I need like, you know, a few rounds of practice. Right. And you need a skills-based therapist to tell you how to do it because how are you supposed to know how to do it? Right. My parents didn't argue. They just divorced. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my mom was like, oh, you don't like that? Peace out. I'm leaving. She's done it over and over and over again. Was your dad her again. first yeah. husband? Okay. Yeah. They were high school sweethearts. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. They were together the longest. There was their longest marriage. It was 10 years. Hmm. Everything after that has been like... Five months, <laughs> really? year and Five a half. Months. Yeah. Short. My dad has mostly increased the longevity of his relationships with, since my mom. I don't know. I guess my mom's getting worse at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not really. But anyway, thank you for talking about this. Let's definitely thank do you, one yeah. about rules of engagement. About, I have a list. I just looked through the list that we made in here one day. That topic. Um, yeah. That's going to be a good podcast, mm-hmm. I think, rules of engagement for arguing. Um, thank you so much for coming. Thank Thanks for having us. I love these conversations. So do I. I do. I love these conversations. My husband has started actually listening to my podcast. Really? And he, the other day, was like... I think you should go back to school and become a therapist. And I went, I don't know that I should, because I think I would go, 
You're showing up again with the same problem? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck, man? Come on, get shit or get off the pot. But you could shit or get off the honey pot, based right? One. Maybe, but I don't know if I have that bone. Well, more does it interest you? I mean, is like just the, you know, it's like a. If you're interested in it, which like part of you, it seems like you are just like, how does it all fit together? Yeah, I am very know? much interested in that. Yeah, I'm not interested in whining. And I feel like I have a predisposed. I've been in therapy for years. So what am I? You know, obviously, I believe in therapy, but I don't like people who don't make yeah. forward motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I just don't. Or I don't like I, it in the early people. on, early on in my career when you're just kind of taking whomever, you know, then that kind of happens. But then. Like, that's why I'm actually a skills-based therapist is because it's super clear, like, how I'm going to work with people. And so you're just, you're not going to, like, sit there forever and just be talking about the same thing in five years, which I think is, it's, I, I've said this before, I think it's super valuable to have the person who you go to once a week just to hear yourself think. I think that's valuable for me. Yeah. I just want to do a different thing. I want to, like, solve a particular problem, yeah. teach you something, move on. So you would be able to that. bring the people in who fit that. Well, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to do my <laughs> podcast. I'm happy where I am. I don't feel like I, yeah, I'm happy where I am. But it was really nice of him to say that. It's I think, really nice. I think he, <laughs> I think he knows I'm, I'm, I've worked really hard in this way on myself. But to hear it as an outsider, yeah. you know, is a different perspective. So, very validating. It is very validating. He's a very uh, great husband, even when he tantrums. And says, you may be having a bad day, but I'm needy. So, <laughs> you know, we all have those compromises in our marriages, I guess. But he's yeah. a great partner. So, yeah. anyway, thanks for coming. Thank you. Until Thank next you time. I can't wait. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening every week. And thanks, Mona. And thanks, Mona. Mona, <laughs> Mona <laughs> you so much. You got